Welcome to the Carolina Codecast. With us today is Sean Reed. Say hi, Sean. Hello. Glad to have you with us. So Sean hey, was a me. speaker at the Carolina Code Conference this year, and uh, he pulled double duty. He initially applied to uh, you know to give a talk for for fifteen minutes, and then we had uh, Robert Roskam dropped out at the last second, and we had to expand your time slot so you could kind of jump in there and cover. And you, you did a marvelous job with it. Thank you. Uh, as as I said that day, asking me to speak more is never a problem. Um, it's usually getting me to shut up or say less that uh, that we run into issues. Well, there's no time limit on today, so we'll we'll, we'll keep that in mind for any listeners. Awesome. We know what we're doing for the next 24 hours. Here we go. Exactly. So, so what are you doing these days? I heard you just started a new job. Yeah. So uh, I am now the lead instructor over at Carolina Code School. Congratulations. Um, thank you. I I was an instructor at a place called Digital Crafts when we moved up here. Um, like a lot of companies, it moved online during COVID. So I was working out of their Atlanta campus. We went 100% online, moved the entire school online during COVID, which made it a lot easier to escape Atlanta. So that's exactly what we did. So we moved up here. Um, and because I was already working in education, I saw that Carolina Code School was here. I immediately volunteered for SC Code. So I had been mentoring and working with those programs for a while. Um, and the opportunity came up to join them as a lead instructor. And it was a good time for me to kind of make my exit from my heart media and move back out of development and into teaching development. So yeah, I've been over there where what are we on week three, I think. So um, it's been a blast. It's a good group. And like I said, I was doing a lot of work with them already anyway. So now it's nice to, uh, to move from the volunteer role into the, Oh, now I get paid for this. Yeah. They do have a really good group over there. I, um, I was, uh, I've been doing a few interviews to get this uh, podcast up and running and you know, none of them except the original one with Joel so far have been published, but uh one that I that I did yesterday um, thought that the conference was associated with the code school and just because of the similarity in names as of the Carolina code, but nope, the, the conference is not, or the, or the podcast, none, none of those are associated with the code school. Just, a, just a happy coincidence. <laughs> well, and I think there's a lot of like weird overlap insofar as like Carolina code school was built out of the ashes of iron yard. Yeah. And then you have folks like Joel that were here because of, work with iron yard. So it's, it is this interesting, like it's, it, uh, I say the ashes and then to just beat this metaphor to death, it's kind of fertile ground for, for more things to have spun out of. So nice. Well, that's, that's a good metaphor. That's, you know, your students will remember those type of metaphors. That makes you a good teacher, right? <laughs> that's uh, I have a degree in English and uh, that's the only time I get to use it is, uh, nice. when I come up with ridiculous metaphors. Nice. All right. So at the, at the conference, you talked to us a lot about, uh, Figma and storybook and design systems for developers. Can you just kind of talk about that a little bit and, and what you were hoping to get across with the, with the, uh, the talk? Yeah, absolutely. So I have been on a bit of a crusade since, well, that particular talk, I've given some version of it since 2015. So that one's been in the pipeline for a while and it, it's changed as the technology has changed and it wasn't, you know, in 2015, I wasn't talking about Figma and Storybook uh, and it was a little more high level and then it's gone super focused in. I've talked to, you know, specifically like, here's how you do it with React or this framework. And then it expands and contracts as necessary. But all of it came from my first experience doing full-time web development. I felt like I was constantly fighting with the designers. And this is back in, you know, 2009, 2010, everything was still coming through in Photoshop. We were yeah. looking at pictures of websites. We didn't know interactivity. And what I realized is that 
designers speak a language that they know. Developers speak a language that we know. And sometimes we'll use the same words and it'll have a complete different meaning. Yes, that's very and, true. And so that's where this whole thing came from is I was like, I don't get why they don't understand. And I realized, oh, because that's I'm not speaking their language. So I should learn enough of their language to be able to speak to them. And then hopefully I can have enough of my language get across and we can we can bridge this gap. So the whole thing just was born out of trying to improve communication between developers and designers. If you Google right now, you know, design handoff, you'll find, I don't even know how many pages about why the process sucks in most instances. Yeah. And, and a lot of that comes down to this communication situation where, yeah. you know, I, I, sorry, go ahead. No, I was just agreeing with you. So oh. yes. Oh. <laughs> um, it, it, an actual like even current experience when I was at iHeartMedia. So iHeartMedia has a set of designers that work across all platforms. And so that's that's televisions with Roku. That is uh, CarPlay, Android Auto, um, the mobile app, and the website. And you've got these designers that are working across all of this. They don't know all of the technology, nor should they. Right. They're just trying to create a unified brand for iHeartMedia, iHeartRadio. And we were sitting in a meeting... And they, the, the designer we were speaking with kept saying components because component has a meaning in Figma. Okay. And there were developers. I was the team lead and I was, I was listening on the call. I wasn't at an active participant in this particular call. And the developers were saying components and the designers were saying components. And it became very obvious that neither side realized that that word doesn't have the same meaning. A React component is a very different thing than a Figma component. Yep. They thought they were talking about the same thing, and they ended up kind of getting into this this you know endless cycle. At which point, I was like, "Look, let's clarify and like set our terms here. When you're saying this, is this what you mean? And then when you're saying this, is this what you mean? And once we kind of got on that level playing field, and they realized like, oh, okay, yeah, when I say component, that's not what I mean at all. And it helps smooth things out. And again, this when you've got designers that are supporting multiple platforms." They just need to know how Figma works. They don't care yeah. about the language. And so if you're using a word that sounds like a word they know in Figma, they just assume you understand Figma as well and vice versa. So, um, so yeah, this is kind of my crusade to say we can improve this. And now in 2023, there are tools that do this. So we don't have to have, you know, I have historically in large companies, I've been in the weird place where I kind of am the, design whisper or developer whisper depending on which side needs to talk to the other and it's like I can there are tools to that. that yeah it's it's a weird sort of liminal space where you're like i don't know a lot of this i know a good bit of this uh but i don't know which side of the fence i'm going to be on today you feel like so you're from office space i talk to the engineers <laughs> right <laughs> exactly it and uh I, it, it occurred to me that like, well, there are tools that do this and we have ways to do this. And arguably I'm on a crusade to, in that regard, put myself out of a job because if people use these tools, then they don't necessarily need to have that person like me in the middle. But yep. thankfully uh, education still works. And so I'm able to continue to do this kind of thing, but in a, in a different, uh, different venue. Nice. Nice. Well, I'm glad to hear everything's going well at the, uh, at the code school and everything too. That's uh you know, so I know you've been involved with a lot of other things throughout your career, but, uh, you know, before we got on, 
today. You told me that you were involved with another podcast because I, I noticed you've got a great setup here. If, if you're just listening, you can't see Sean's setup here, but he's he's really prepared to be broadcasting uh, right now. And uh, and it's it's very impressive. So tell me about that a little bit. Um, so, yeah, I used to be on a podcast called Theme Park Pulse. I don't know if it's still active or not. The 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 person that founded the podcast is actually an on-air talent out in California. And so his schedule goes a little crazy. Um, and I think he just recently got a job at KQED out there, which okay. he's doing reporting. So time to hop on and talk about theme parks got minimized. Yeah. Uh, and when I started at iHeartRadio, my schedule kind of went really wonky and they were West coast. I'm East coast. So finding time to line up was not ideal. Um, but yeah, I was on that show for, uh, we started off as a sponsor of the show. My wife and I used to be part owners of a, a theme park scented candle company that we had. Really? And we we started off as sponsors of the show. And then somehow after being interviewed on it, I weaseled my way into a semi full-time role. And yeah, we're just coming on and talk about like what's happening at, at you know, uh, I would do Disney World because I'm on the East Coast. They would do Disneyland. Uh, nice. And then this time of year, we'd be geeking out about Halloween Horror Nights at Universal and uh and all that stuff. Just we're, we're giant theme park nerds. I've got, well, you can't see it right now, but there's any number of Disney things oh, yeah. floating around behind me in my office. And I'm, I can see my, uh, uh, my hitchhiking ghost from the haunted mansion over here. So well, see, uh, my family is, is really into theme parks too. So this, this really caught my attention. So like when, when my kids were, when my oldest was in fourth grade and we were still, he was still at that age where the school would let him, would let us take him out of school for a long weekend, kind of whenever we wanted to. Um, we, uh, we had bought a really cheap RV and, uh, and we, we got an annual pass to Disney and we went to Disney like seven times. Cause you can stay at Fort Wilderness down at Disney and you don't even have to go on the parks. And it's, and it's just a really good time at Fort Wilderness. If you want to just go stay the week down, it's just a good time. Oh, absolutely. But yeah. we went down there like seven times over the course of the year just to maximize the value That's of the awesome. passes. Cause the annual passes, if you basically go twice in a year, you get the value out of it essentially. Yeah. Um, yeah. And so we were just trying to maximize it. And we learned every, like, we explored every nook and cranny of those parks. I mean, we, we figured out the times of day. We, we would just stroll in at like four o'clock because you didn't have to worry about wasting your ticket for the day when you had the annual pass. And uh, it, was, it was such a good time. And now we give people advice on, on doing this. So to hear that there was actually a podcast doing this, I, I could have definitely done that. <laughs> oh, yeah. It was, it was a lot of fun. And I, so I've never been to Disneyland. I haven't been out to West Coast yet. But after working with these guys for a while, I feel like I could probably walk that park without a map. Nice. Just because they've talked about it so much. And we've compared like, oh, wait, you don't have this that we have over here? And, and um, so I look forward to see like, okay, how much do I really know? Or am I going to walk in and I'm going to be like everybody else that's their first time at the park and be like, oh, God, I'm confused and lost. Yeah. Like, so we're, we're actually planning a, a trip in, in uh, February. We're going to go for like a quick weekend trip. So we, um, like two years ago, we booked a seven day trip uh, to Disney. It was going to be our last time. Like our annual passes has run out and we said, all right, we're just going to do this up and it's going to be great. We got the park hopper for the week because the more days you go on a row, the cheaper it gets. Um, yep. And, but we booked it in July. And it was after COVID and they had stopped having the fast passes. So you're waiting for two hours in the line in the heat. We came in after the first day and just told the guy at the front desk, like, look, we're miserable. We're really, I mean, we, this is not our first rodeo. We know it's not normally like this here. We would like to just check out. Is there any way that we can, that we can do something about these things? And they gave us, uh, 
single day park hopper tickets for the remaining days that we had. And so we've turned that oh, into nice. a bunch of shorter trips and we have one day left. And my daughter wants oh, to use it awesome. for her birthday. So we're going to go in February and do that. And uh, as we're, as we're talking through it, you know, my wife and I, we've been to Disney so much. We're literally just planning out the logistics of every little detail on the optimum route for like the perfect day at Disney. <laughs> and I could not have imagined doing this before. Like we, were, we were one of the people who had to get, uh, you know, we got a, a one of the Disney travel agent people to, to help us plan the first trip that was there because we had no idea what we were doing. And it's just, it's fun to, and to look back and see, <laughs> see the difference right. when you know what you're doing. It, there, uh, it actually became a, uh, it became a segment on the show. We did it as a game show for a little while. And it started off as this, uh, this really snarky joke that was like, you're doing Disney wrong <laughs> where we would just, you could see people in the park and you're like, Oh, you, you made, this was a bad choice. Yeah. You should have consulted somebody. And, uh, and then it just turned into me finding stories about bad guest behavior. Oh, and um, I would do uh, just read out a description of the bad guest behavior. And uh, we would call the person the eighth dwarf and the panelists had to come up with a name based on the behavior. And all of the behaviors were almost all the behaviors were rooted in an actual story that happened. Occasionally I might embellish a few things here or there. And there was once where I took two stories and made them into one person, but <laughs> it was, uh, it was always like, Oh yeah, this is the, these are the people that just goofed up all over the, you know, the people that are upset about a dining, like they, they can't get in on a wait list for a restaurant that has been booked up for the last, you know, six months because dining reservations were gone the minute people could book. So goodness gracious. All right. So, um, what was the name of that podcast one more time? Because I feel like me and all of our listeners are probably going to have to, uh, are probably going to have to go pick that up at some point now. Uh, so that one is Theme Park Pulse, Theme Park and it Pulse. may or may not be active. Like I said, it went dormant for a while. I haven't been on it for a couple years. Um, however, there's another one. I'll just keep you in the loop for this one. Yeah. I, I used to work at a company called Mouse Dining. It was a small startup. It was literally five people. Yeah. And we, it's an app to help you find dining reservations at Disney world and Disneyland. We were talking a little bit about it before. Yeah. The owner of mouse dining, uh, he and I have stayed friends. It was one of the greatest places I've ever worked. Unfortunately, it wasn't making enough money at the time. So that's why I don't work there anymore. Um, but a great he idea. has wanted to start. Oh, it's fantastic. Um, because for those of you that have not tried to book a Disney dining reservation up until oh, literally two weeks ago, yeah, it's it's a nightmare. And up until two weeks ago, you could only see one day, one meal at a time. And so if you changed, you had to start the whole process over. And oh, yeah. It was, you know, a four-step process. And you had to go and look uh, like per hour for the reservation times for your party size yep. to see if there was availability and like change to say, all right, well, if, there, if we did six people or two people at this restaurant, does it change anything? It was awful. Yeah. And Mouse Dining made it. You picked your restaurant. We showed you a calendar of the next four weeks. You could change your party size. It would refresh and show you, okay, here's what's available. And you click a link, takes you right to Disney's website, so solves all of that for you. Nice. Um, and uh, it's since been successful. It's it's mostly just run by the founder and uh, uh, the, the owner and the founder, their brothers. And so they're running it, but he's talked about wanting to start a Disney food related podcast that huh. talks about a lot of the stuff, a lot of the data that they've gathered running mouse dining and seeing people's dining patterns. And so um, 
there may be another Disney podcast in the work. We've been talking about it for most of this year. We haven't done anything about it yet, uh, but it would also help if I would stop changing jobs. Uh, so <laughs> I can relate to that too, Sean. Yeah, yeah, you know how it goes. Yeah. I'm oddly enough, I'm actually wearing my my theme park T-shirt right now. Nice. Do you recognize this? Oh, I'm drawing a blank, but I have seen it. I have a horrible memory, though. I've also been hitting the head a lot. You remember Chuck? Yes. Okay. Nice. Chuck, and you know, in my not so humble opinion, is the single greatest TV show ever created. Um. I've seen a few episodes, but from uh, you are not the only person I have yeah. heard say that. There, there are five glorious seasons, and it's got a it's got a very high level of uh, of rewatchability. So my wife and I have rewatched it. I think it came out in two thousand five to start with, and I believe my wife and I have rewatched all five seasons like six different times. We just recently watched it with our kids, and they loved it too. Um, it is literally impossible to have a to have a worse mood when you finish watching an episode of Chuck than you did when you started. So uh, nice. I, I think, you know, multiple people that are, if you've, if you've got any type of, uh, of need to have a more cheerful day, you should definitely just pop in an episode of Chuck. Um, but, uh, so th this, the shirt says nerd herd for the people who are just listening. Um, it's, it basically takes place in a, in a fake Best Buy and called a buy more. And instead of the geek squad, they have the nerd herd. And, uh, and so I got this shirt and I wear it to theme parks because Chuck fans are very excitable. And if you wear this in a theme park, it's, you, know, you have to wear certain things when you travel because it's a conversation starter. Like if I'm going through an oh, airport, yeah. I always wear my Clemson gear because you'll get a bunch of go tigers as you go through random airports in different parts of the world, which is just fun. Yeah. But, uh, you know, you end up in the theme park and then the next thing you know, somebody's going, Chuck, and <laughs> that was the greatest show. And uh, you, you make random friends that way. It's, uh, I don't know, it's a very strategic choice oh. for your theme park experiences. Oh, I 100% agree. I have my uh, stupid Judy, stupid energy shirt that, that I wear. Do you remember Ellen's energy adventure? No. Ellen's energy adventure that recently just got turned into the Guardians of the Galaxy ride over in Epcot. Really? Um, it was, uh, it was a, was it trackless? I think it was trackless. And um, the, the beginning was a scene with Ellen from Ellen. Yeah competing on a version of jeopardy and there was her nemesis i can't remember judy's last name but uh the the nemesis was played by oh crap and i'm completely drawing a blank on her name um halloween uh if only i had the internet in front of me oh sorry about that noise oh it's all good We can fast forward to the dead time in the in the yeah, uh, editing yeah, process works. here, so we'll go with that. Ellen's energy adventure. I've never heard of this before. Oh my god! It was so it, well. To be perfectly honest, it was great for a twenty-minute nap. <laughs> and um, <laughs> Jamie Lee Curtis. There we go. I just found it. So Jamie Lee Curtis plays Ellen's nemesis, Judy, and. Ellen is watching Jeopardy, falls asleep, sees herself on the show. When she sees herself on the show, she goes into this dream sequence with Bill Nye, the science guy, where they travel through time. And so your Omni Mover is moving through this with giant animatronic dinosaurs. Oh, my God. Learning about the history of energy. And so the dinosaurs are obviously just talking about fossil fuels. And 
in there, Ellen, because she's feuding with Judy, Jamie Lee Curtis's character, she says, stupid Judy, stupid energy. And somebody on Etsy made that shirt. And I was like, well, I have to have this because that's where this that ride is. Yeah. That, that that ride is not very beloved, but lunatics like me that really, really enjoyed it and that missed the fact that it's not there. Uh, like we are uh, we are a small tribe of people that will definitely celebrate when we see somebody else within Ellen's energy adventure shout out. So nice. That is I've, I've never heard of that ride before. But then again, I also had a big gap in terms of when I when I went to Epcot. Like I, I went once as a kid with my parents and then um my wife and I, when we were dating, we, uh, we went, um, and we were engaged, we, we went in like 2003, 2004 ish. Uh, and we just okay. visited, you know, a little bit. We didn't really know what we were doing at that time either. And then we basically had a gap until our kids were old enough to go. Uh, and then right. we started going uh, again uh, a few years ago. And, uh, I don't know if it was there, if it was in that gap in the middle where, uh, where that ride was, but I've never even heard of it. So that's interesting. It well, and it's also in that front half of Epcot before you get to the World Pavilion. And yeah. so, like, it's on the opposite end. If you I've ever, done, if you've I've the Guardians track, ride, so I know exactly where you're talking about. It's like right yeah, there. Yeah, it's, it's in, the, it, it was that building. Um, they tore a lot of it down and then built it new to, to house the Guardians ride. Right. But uh, it, it was kind of over in that little corner, and it would be great to get out of the sun for like 20 minutes. I, uh, I frequently would go on that ride and just take a nap and um, wake up at the end. <laughs> And just just so our listeners know, had no intention of spending half the podcast talking about Disney today, but uh, that's just kind of what happened. So we're we're going with it. <laughs> I know. Welcome to the Carolina Disney podcast exactly. for all of your Disney history needs. Exactly. Did you know that Disney was supposed to be in Myrtle Beach? No. Yes, that's the original site. Walt Disney wanted to put it in Myrtle Beach, and uh, I, I've I've got to go look up exactly what happened, but it. it basically came down to some zoning stuff and there were some people that didn't think it would be beneficial to have it here. Uh, and so I we went, all right, well, we're just going to go to Orlando then. And uh, so he built it in a swamp and yep. uh, literally. Yep. And, uh, and it's, it's just crazy to think about, but some similar happened in, uh, in Spartanburg. I think um, they wanted to, uh, I think they wanted to build a huge racetrack in Spartanburg to, to either start NASCAR or to do the NASCAR museum or something like that. And some people in Spartanburg were against it and it ended up going to like Charlotte or something instead. Uh, oh yeah, there is the, that's the, somehow whenever we go to Charlotte, we end up parking in the NASCAR history museum parking deck. Yep. Yep. Exactly. And, and I don't, I don't know what keeps these giant attractions from, uh, from ending up in, in South Carolina, but for some reason there's some people that did, <laughs> they just said, you know what, take all of that economic development elsewhere. They're like, just get rid of it. We don't want yep. it. It's amusing when we were looking at leaving Atlanta, I would actually factor in how much more, like what was the drive time from wherever we were looking at? And do we want to be closer to Disney or further, uh, you know, how much further? And it, and it worked out well the way you're like, okay, well, if you move from Atlanta to Greenville, then it's just 95 South. So it doesn't add much more than about an hour. Yeah. And we are avoiding 75, which I'm all about avoiding 75 right. if you've driven on it, uh, particularly the connector through Atlanta. So I was like, okay, yeah, no, this works. We don't, we're, we're good. This, we don't have to send up, set off any alarms for Disney travel. Yeah. If we, uh, if we sidetrack into routes to get from here to, to Disney, that's going to say like, I, that is, that, that is an odd passion point of mine. Like I'm, I'm absolutely obsessed now with taking 25 as far down as you can. Okay. You, uh, so you just take 25 basically all the way into Georgia 
and then you cut over to Savannah okay. real quick and you bypass going through Columbia and 995 and all that. Um, and, uh, and you come out at Savannah and if you want to go the other way, I mean, you can also do the Atlanta and you can cut through Athens if you want to skip Atlanta. So mm -hmm. you can go down 85, yeah. cut through Athens and then come out down on 75 a little bit farther. The 75 oh, drive yeah, is just boring though. There's just nothing there. Yeah, I lived in uh, Winder, Georgia for a while, and we would do the Athens bypass. Basically, you go through like Monticello, and then the next thing you know, you come out in Macon, and you're like, oh, good. We skipped all of everything yep. in Atlanta. And because uh, we, we were living in Decatur, and when we would leave to go to Disney, we would leave at like four in the morning because it was the way that we could guarantee. I, we lived right at 285. Yeah. And it was like, well, we, this is how we will guarantee that we are only in crappy traffic for maybe five minutes yep. and then we can just be on the road and watch the sunrise as we get further down south do you know who uh lewis grizzard is yes okay good deal so lewis grizzard for for those of you who don't know is a comedian who was famous in the southeast for years i think he died in like 1993 or something like that i think that but he was a writer for the atlanta atlanta journal constitution he was a very funny comedian and he would do these um and he would do these uh these comedy tours around the southeast um where Pretty much his, his material was uh, was preachers, Yankees, college football, um, golf, uh, pretty much everything that would that would hit a note with a with a very distinctly southern audience uh, back then. And and he was a, a very well loved guy. But one of the things, uh, one of his most famous jokes, um, drove my. Uh, so I'm I'm a huge Louis Cazard fan, and he always told this joke. I've listened to his stuff a gazillion times. And he always told this joke, you know, they say, if you drive through Athens with your window down, they'll throw a diploma in your car. That ain't true. You got to stop. And so <laughs> the very first time that I drove through Athens on my way to Disney, my wife did not understand what was happening, but I had to drive to the middle of Georgia's campus and stop just to see what happened. Did, did not get the diploma. I was very disappointed. As someone that, uh, as, as a graduate of University of Georgia, <laughs> who took 15 years to get an English degree, I can guarantee you that they don't throw up diplomas because I've driven through there so many times. Nice. I did not there realize you were a UGA times I dropped out. That's, uh, that's oh, enough. yeah. So you're guaranteed to know, I, to know Lewis. He was also a huge Georgia fan for, for those of you who don't know. Oh, yeah. He's he's a dog. Yeah. Um, yeah, I was, I much to the chagrin of some of my neighbors, since we live in South Carolina now, I was actually a cheerleader at University of Georgia oh, that's uh, right. for a brief period in the late 90s. Uh, so when people are like, oh, you're a, you're a bulldog fan, I'm like, oh, I'm more than a bulldog fan. <laughs> I, I was like, I was a literal cheerleader. I still have photos and a warm up jacket somewhere to prove it. That's you know, you and I can actually relate on that a little bit. So um, I was in an organization at Clemson called Central Spirit. That uh, okay, that Central Spirit had a fifty thousand dollar budget, 150 members, and like 12 subcommittees, and they managed everything around athletics that was not actually playing the sports. Like they, that was the group that organized the, still organizes like the first Friday parade, the homecoming float build. They build, and they do t-shirts, they do non-revenue promotions for like all the other sports throughout the year. And during football game days, uh, in addition to blowing up the balloons and doing face paint for everybody, they don't do the balloons anymore. Um, it's the group of people that sits in the end zone and waves the huge Clemson, uh, Clemson flags. Nice. And so my one claim to fame with this group was that whenever we got, was I was really excited about getting to be down on the field during the games for this. 
And after the first game, everybody just kind of showed up in whatever they happened to be wearing. So we looked like a really motley crew of people in like either shorts or jeans and t-shirts and stuff. And uh, the orange overalls were a really big deal. Uh, and, you know, they had a lot of history to them. It, and we can get into all that. But the only, written, the only real orange overalls come from Judge Keller's in Clemson, if anyone's curious. Um, but so I suggested that, hey, maybe if we're all going to be down on the field waving these flags, we should have some type of uniform. Let's at least all wear orange overalls. And so they've been doing that for 20 years, and I started that. And I feel very proud of that. Nice. But, nice. Uh, That's awesome. But, yeah, so I was always down there in my orange overalls in full face paint uh, to, to do this every, every single game. And, uh, and so, you know, you were a cheerleader. I can very much relate to that. It was a, it was a good time. <laughs> oh yeah, absolute black. And it, and it honestly came out of like UGA probably similar to Clemson was just so damn big. Yeah. And I was like, I don't want to sit in the stands. <laughs> so what can I do to watch the game? Like, you know, from, from the field, like, I don't know. I, I know squat about football. My younger brother has played football all through college. I just get all my opinions from him, but I was like, but I really want to see the game. And I had, I was on a spirit squad. So I was like cheerleader light in high school. And I was like, I can do flips. And there's a gym here in Athens that, uh, that I can train at. So I went and trained at the gym, ended up eventually making the junior varsity squad, which meant I got to cheer for women's basketball who won way more than men's basketball. And I remember uh, that during those years, especially. Yeah, I we the year I cheered, we went all the way to the finals and played Tennessee and unfortunately lost, um, which was sad. But uh, yeah, I mean, Andy Landers had some fantastic teams. And here I am like flying around the country on the NCAA's dime. It was it was fantastic. That's and it was cool. all because I was like, oh, I can throw people over my head and I can do a backflip. So I'll take it. Yeah, when I was in school, women's basketball at Clemson under Jim Davis was actually really, really good as well. And then they had a dry spell for like 20 years, but they're starting to get really good again now, too. Nice. Nice. But yeah. Georgia is clearly a football school. Yeah, but Clemson is the same way. Football and baseball. Everybody, everybody really enjoys baseball at Clemson too. But uh, nice. yeah, very much so. So uh, let's see. I'm trying to think of a way to bring this back to code. Right. How do, <laughs> how do we circle any of this back? I just, just the, the talking about Disney and the English degree just sort of derailed everything. Yeah. So so speaking of uh, so speaking of Clemson, we had the the conference at the Clemson One Building in downtown Greenville at the you know in Clemson's you NBA space. Perfect segue right there. Yeah, just there you to, go. I tried to get the sign change for my talk, but uh, didn't have any. I remember that was a, that was a hard no. I did I did work in some USC jokes while or sorry U of SC jokes. Uh, while was, Look, those are always appropriate yes. because nobody likes game exactly. not to dis not to completely turn off the rest of the audience that is still around <laughs> so did you have a good time at the conference though i had a blast the conference was fantastic Great. um it it's the first it's, it's the first tech conference i've been to in a while and definitely the first conference that i've been to since uh since covid shut everything down and um i i thought it was really well run it was it was fantastic to kind of just get to hang around and meet other people i've met plenty of folks on hat greenville or the various meetups in town but it was like oh these are i can put faces to names yep. or avatars from slack which was really nice um i'm also doing some work with norello who is one of the sponsors there so nice. it's awesome to get to meet them in person uh and get to talk to Chirac. like i talked to him plenty of times over zoom and i was like oh i get to actually you know talk to you face to face now so that's that's really cool yeah sponsor wise i think they uh they made the most of their sponsorship i've i've heard i've heard from more people that, um, that were talking to them throughout the event and after the event than uh, there than i expected to i guess but uh yeah 
So I'm doing developer relations for their product and uh, shameless plugs that they're not paying me for right now. Um, the product is fantastic. And it was kind of uh, James Shockley, uh, local developer, is how I got in touch with them. Yeah. And when they first showed me what the product was, I was like, well, this will be the easiest thing in the world because this is I already think this is cool. So now. Yeah, you can absolutely pay me to go tell people how cool this is because it's it's a it's a fantastic product and uh, to keep us on the the code front. Yeah, they, um, they were a sponsor. You can talk about them all you want. <laughs> perfect. Uh, so I I've been teaching software for a number of years now, off and on. Where I like to be myself is always on the front end. I've taught full stack, so I can build backends and you know Symphony PHP, uh, Django Express. I I can. Yeah doesn't mean i want to uh and i have been building a tool uh basically a collection of bookmarks and good resources for students that uh i just been collecting and curating things for years that was going to go into an app that i've never gotten around to building a back end for i started the front end with a bunch of you know just static json i was like one day i'll write a back end for this well norello just pops in and so i was able to point norello at my database and now i have an api and I didn't have to write the API. So I could do the parts that I enjoy, which is write the front end. And I just run all my queries through Norello, which gives me all of my post and get routes for the entire thing. All right. So I'm, I'm going to segue in because there's actually a related point for this for next year's conference. Nice. Uh, I have a ridiculous plan to build the most absurd conference website ever created. Um, the intention is to have a, a Kubernetes cluster that has a front end in one language and then APIs provided in as many different languages as we could possibly imagine, all pointing to the same database. And then, I'm, and then I wanna use some type of telemetry to actually capture performance stats on each of those languages and then publish them out like tech and power benchmarks so that we'll have a polyglot nice. website for a polyglot conference. Nice. And uh, there's no good reason to do anything like this other than just because you can and because it's silly. But I'm, I've been meaning to ask James about this, and so you might be able to answer it. Does, does uh, Norello generate out your, your APIs in whatever language you need, or is there a subset of languages? Uh, it just generates. So right now they're doing REST, and they're working on GraphQL. Okay. So it just becomes a RESTful API. Okay. Um, and you point your schema okay. at it, and it generates the API for it. Okay. So, well, that might be a good way to get um, the, uh, the, the Rust back end for it then. Yeah, good yeah, to know. Absolutely. And it, it can have plus, like it, I don't do enough of back end to know how those things work. There's actually another guy that they've got that's, uh, that's going to be doing the back end um, interface with Norello. I'm just strictly doing the front end. Right. But man, it took, a, it took an idea that I've had sitting dormant for years. And I was like, oh, I can build an app now. And this is going to be so much easier. And I'm actually already sharing it with my, uh, with my students in this class. I was like, here you go. This is a thing that I'm rolling out. It's an alpha. Y'all use it. If you need more reading about any topic we cover in class, um, that's really go cool. ahead and, and check this out. And then I'm adding curation again, because I don't have to write the, the routes. Huh. It's like, Oh, I can suddenly add curation into this, you know, migrate the database and update the schema and I'm good to go. So uh, yeah, that's really nice. I'm, I'm definitely gonna have to have to check that out. That seems like it'd be an ideal way to at least do the do the Rust version of, of that. I am very much more of a backend developer. Uh, I've I always see I I have the the front end trauma from uh, 
from the the early years of of ajax development where everything was yes. different and you still had to deal with ie6 and all the inconsistencies from ie6 to every other browser and and how if you you know if you tried to have a front end make multiple requests it would queue them one at a time if you were in ie versus any other browser any other platform you could just send them all and you but actually have to set up multiple different subdomains so that you could get it to send to different subdomains in parallel. Oh, but it would only do it was it was it was miserable. And I just got so frustrated. I was like, I can control everything correctly on the back end. And so I just gravitated towards what I could control uh, more effectively. And uh, but but I've I've done the front end. I'm, I'm I'm the same way as you. I can do the front end. I just prefer right. not to. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Totally understand. <laughs> there are other people I who mean, would do it much better. I've been trying to explain, so I try to work in history uh, of where we are and how we got there, you know, when I'm teaching this stuff to the students. And I was, I was briefly introducing them to jQuery as it is. I was like, you're likely not to, you, you probably won't see this, but you might, yeah, who knows, you might end up in an agency where they're still supporting some client that hasn't updated their WordPress in a number of years. So jQuery is still, still running. Oh, yeah. I was like, but here's what it did for us. That was really, really helpful. I was like, this one method, this jQuery Ajax method, probably kept this little library that could alive for much longer than it should have because making Ajax requests across browsers was such a holy nightmare. Oh, yeah. And as we're doing stuff now, I was like, y'all, I, I can't even mock something up that was as bad as it was back then. Just trust me, you're getting into the industry at a really nice time oh, yeah. because we have tools that make things so much easier. So um, back in... My, uh, back in 2006, um, I worked for, uh, or 2004 to 2006 or so, I worked for Nuvox right out of college. And um, and while I was there, so Nuvox is a, a business communications, telecommunications company. It's Windstream in Downtown Rebel okay. now. Oh, um, okay, yeah. But, uh, but, when I was, um, but when I was there, they rolled out a, a VoIP service. And, uh, and we, you know, I was on the team responsible for building their, the, the web portal for their, their VoIP service. And so this was early on in the days of, you know, right when Ajax stuff was first coming out, JSON was not okay, even a yeah. thing. So we were basically just writing scripts that just sent text back and we were parsing it in whatever language made sense to us. Oh, geez, um, yeah. And then we were sending stuff back to, to Java APIs behind the scenes on the other end of the, of the company that were, that were handling the back end for how all this stuff worked. And so it was a PHP front end with a Java back end and then in like this, and this JavaScript front end interface. And so this was before jQuery, before prototype, and we were writing all of the JavaScript by hand. And I'm very proud of this because there were three of us, just to give you an idea of, of taking you back to how, how this was. Uh, there were three of us sitting in, uh, in, you know, connected cubes upstairs in Nubox. And they had, and we didn't have Git. We didn't have any type of version control whatsoever. Oh, no, and, not that. And so we were SSH'd into a, the, into a central server and we were all using Vim so that Vim would tell us if someone else was already in the file we were trying to access so that we wouldn't overwrite their code. And we used this process and we delivered everything that we needed to do so far ahead of schedule. And it worked for 10 years without a bug. Wow. Acro uh, across... And, and this was back in 2004, 2006. It worked in IE6, it worked in Safari, and it worked in Firefox for 10 years with no um, with no issues. And that's, that was that's impressive. Yeah, that was without any JSON or anything like that. It was literally hand coded AJAX requests. And uh, I'm sure there were all sorts of crazy security vulnerabilities in it. Now that I think about it, but 
Like, if they didn't get exploited, they're not there. Yeah, it's it's fun. I remember when I first discovered jQuery. After that, it was gosh, it was just I was I was a huge advocate for it for, for the longest time. Uh, well, and I got my start writing PHP yep. because JavaScript was a nightmare mm-hmm. and trying to get it sorted out. And I was like, and and again back then we were using JavaScript for like hover effects and things that we can do in CSS now. Yep. And trying to explain that to my students, I'm like. <laughs> Yeah, I, oh, I explained God. to them what Ajax was, and I was like, and Ajax doesn't mean anything anymore. Like, it used to mean asynchronous JavaScript and XML, but we don't talk to XML anymore. And I guess it would just be weird if they called it AJAJ and, uh, because it's all JSON. Have you shown them how so to design we websites just... with tables yet? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> that, so the first time I ever taught web development, I was a systems administrator at a middle school in Gwinnett County, Georgia. Oh, wow. And... They had a community school, and the person that was teaching web design, which was front page, stopped teaching the course. And they came to me, and they were like, hey, you do the middle school's website. Do you want to teach this web design course? And I was like, sure, I can do this. But I refused to use front page. So I had had a classroom full of literal soccer moms. This is not me denigrating anybody. This is every person in that class was the mother of a high school student that played soccer uh, or football. Like it was just, it was moms who wanted to know how to share photos with family out of state. This would have been 2003, 2004. And I had them writing table-based layouts in notepad and then learning FTP to upload the files somewhere. Wow. And um, I feel like uh, there's probably a special place in hell for me doing that. But they all went along with it. Like, we all did it by the end. Like, I was like, we got it. They had web pages. They could share pictures. Grandma could see them. I don't know that we were optimizing them. I don't know how big they were. I don't even remember where we were storing them. Now, but back then, cameras was, would only uh, take them so big anyway. So well, it's true. Yeah. Like, you, and you had to use a camera. Or you literally print them phone. out and then scan them yourself. To- right. <laughs> Golly, it was it was a time, wasn't it? <laughs> oh yeah, yeah. And so what I showed them, uh, thankfully, Space Jam's original website from '96 is still online. Really? Yeah. If you go to, I think it's spacejam.com/slash1996. Um, the original site is still online, and I can then use that to show them what a table-based layout and the height of technology in the late '90s was. Uh, spacejam.com/slash1996 did not pull up anything. Oh, okay. Hold on, I've got it somewhere. Let me try that. Actually, hold on. Apparently, I installed a Firefox update while we were doing this, and it wants to restart now. But no, still no. Yeah, it should be spacejam.com slash 1996 slash. The trailing slash might be important in this. Oh, no. Okay, there we go. Sorry. Who knows? You have to type in spacejam.com first and let it do all the auto redirects to get you to the WWW site, and then do the Oh, God. Goodness gracious, that's amazing. Oh, because, you know, we have better technology now, so we have 8,000 redirects and 54 million different yep. ad trackers and cookies. Oh, the stars and everything. Yeah, this is this is all exactly what I remember. That's fantastic. Yeah, one of our... And trying to explain to them that that took the entire screen. Yeah. Like, 
you didn't have like now it's a little tiny box in the middle of a of a nice led monitor like no 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 you had your big fat 15 inch weighs 200 pounds anchor on your desk and that was the entirety of the well you can show them the uh you know with the google dev tools you can like just have yep. it automatically resized to the 640 by 480 version yeah yeah i and i i uh that's how i teach them why we don't use tables because it's not responsive yep. uh, one of the many reasons why we don't use tables you can actually, also because it's you can do it pretty well on. when you got it to, to do like the there's all sorts of weird tricks in that i remember being able to do oh yeah my, my favorite trick from back in the day that still works and most people don't know about by the way uh is when you're doing a an, an href um on the target you know, most people will just write and they'll either include target blank if they wanted to open a new window or they'll or they'll just not include the target at all. But if you put just any word that you want in and make it a named target, like if you say, you know, target space jam, then no matter how many times the person uh, clicks that link, it will open in the same window. So it will actually target a specific window that you open. So if you have a bunch of links and you want to make nice. sure that only certain ones open in certain windows, you can do that. So it's basically a superpower for blank to make sure people don't accidentally open the same link twice. That is, I, you know what? I've been doing this a while. I've never known yep. that. That's awesome. I remember. I'm going to totally share that in class tomorrow. And, and it was weird how you found out about this stuff too, because you would just observe other stuff and and, and you okay. realize it. And so I had, uh, you deserve, you'd observe other sites and you and you pull it in. So I, somebody pulled me into Yahoo Fantasy Football at some point. And, uh, and so I got on there and I was looking at and I noticed whenever you would open a player profile, it always opened that player's profile in its own window. And I started looking how they did it. And, and that was how they did it. Nice. That, and I remember, and this is a technology, trying to explain this technology to folks who have never done web development before is very interesting uh, because it didn't last very long. But before I learned PHP, I was doing server-side includes. If you ever remember SHTML. I, I never did SHTML. It was essentially it's templating. You yeah. could define an area where where a file would load, and you would save the piece of the file as an SHTML file that the server would then add in. And it worked well for a time, but I still found myself like hand coding, editing HTML text. I was like, "There's got to be a better way to do this." And that's that's when I learned PHP, and it was the same thing. I was just like, I downloaded some package from SourceForge. That was a, a, a slash dot clone written in PHP. And I was like, well, I'm just going to edit this to make it do what I wanted to do. And I basically learned PHP by taking apart something and then putting it back together. Yeah. And I was like, well, this is just Lego engineering at this point. You just, you know, you take things apart and put it back together and see how it works. No, that, that's exactly how I learned. I mean, I, so that organization yeah. I mentioned earlier, the Central Spirit Group. So when I was there and, and as a, as a freshman, my summer between my freshman year, I didn't land an internship anywhere. And so I was just taking extra summer school classes and I, I hung around and I decided, you know what? I Central Spirit doesn't have a website. They have a whole lot of stuff going on with all these committees and everything. Like maybe I'm going to just build them a website so that we can post when events are. Uh, and everybody approved it and everything. And so I did it. And, uh, and it was just a straight up HT, uh, HTML site. Then we got going and then we needed to post the minutes every week you know, from the meeting because everybody needed to see those minutes. And so I got tired of manually posting them. I was like, well, the person who's taking these needs to just be able to post them. And so how do I do that? And so I, I started trying to figure out how to do that. And it, that led me into, into doing forms and into, and into some basic uh, PHP and storing it in, in my SQL stuff. And then three and a half years later, the, that site ran the entire organization. 
um, because I'd built, so, I I'd, I'd built a little tool for every little thing that the organization did by the time I was done. And I think that actually lasted for about, I want to say 12 years after I left that um, they were running the organization nice. on that site. Uh, and then at some point recently, Clemson got a tool to manage clubs that they rolled out to all of the various clubs and organizations. Um, but uh, had a good run, and that was that was actually how I got my job at uh, at Nuvox too. Is that, that side project for for Single Spirit that I didn't think was real programming because I was taking I was learning Java and, and computer science and stuff at Clemson, um, and uh, and I kept applying for these Java jobs, and I didn't really like any of the Java jobs that I was getting uh, getting options for. And so a recruiter, uh, I think it was from Robert Half, um, told me about some. PHP job over at Nuvox, but it was actually closer to uh, something that I wanted to do. So I was like, all right, but I want to transition into real programming later. And <laughs> One of these days. And, uh, oh gosh, yeah. If, if I could have a conversation with myself back then, it would be, <laughs> be an experience. Oh yeah. Yeah. I can only imagine. Well, and so, and funny you mentioned that. So I was working at the middle school. I ended up coaching. So not only did I cheer at Georgia, but I ended up coaching high school cheerleading for about seven years. Really? Yeah. I worked in the middle school. I worked at the school no, doing IT support. I, I actually went back to the uh, school system that I actually graduated from. Like I was at the middle school, my brother and sister went to, and I coached the cheerleading, a few cheerleading squads at the high school I graduated from, which was bizarre. Um, Cause I was not that kid <laughs> in school at all. I was the little weirdo goth kid and theater kid. Um, so they go back and be coaching cheerleaders felt like a, a weird rom-com. Yeah. Uh, that that actually does sound kind of, you could probably write something out of that. <laughs> I probably could. Um, but so I was doing the IT support and the school's website was really bad. So I, the principal let me take it over because nobody else wanted to do it. So that's when I started teaching myself programming. Forked that one thing from SourceForge that I ended up turning into its own thing. Yeah. And then as I was coaching cheerleading, I coached a middle school squad. I coached multiple high school squads. So then the cheerleading coaches that uh, I was working with at the high school they're like, okay, well, can you just write us a website? And we became one of the first places where after cheerleading tryouts, we could just post the results on the website. We didn't have to, which for those of you that have not been on any side of this, nothing will make you more uncomfortable than having to look at the parent of a disappointed athlete who has not made a spot on the team. And yep. hanging these things in a window it's it, it's like TMZ with paparazzi. You know, they would hang out. Parents would stalk the school waiting for you to go and tape the results to the window. I did the exact same thing in Georgia to see when I made it. So when we could do it on the website and we could just publish it and we didn't have to see anybody's face, it was glorious. And I ended up building a bunch of uh, different cheerleading related websites for a brief period. I had a discussion forum that I that I managed that was one of the most popular discussion forums in the state of Georgia for competitive cheerleading. Really? And um, tell me it was called something when, about cheerocracy or something like that. It, it was uh, the, so there was a, there was a thing called the Georgia sports vent that I don't even remember who ran. I think it's part of rivals.com dog vent. And yes. Yeah. yeah know, so I, it's probably all under the same. Yeah, umbrella. yeah. Dog vent is famous. I spend a lot of time on the Clemson rivals site. Tiger illustrated. So, so they have they had a cheerleading forum that didn't get a ton of attention, and it often would get uh, spammed by you know football players that would come in and you know and so I was like cheerleading needs a dedicated one so I just bought gacheerleadingvent.com and 
for the first two years I ran it, I did it completely anonymously because I was coaching and I didn't want anybody to know that, makes sense. that it was me. And I, I was like, I don't want the judges. Judges are petty. <laughs> and I didn't want them hurting the teams that I coached because somebody talked some crap about them on the website that I ran. Yep. And, uh, and it ultimately it was, I built out and ran so many cheerleading websites. That was actually my first podcast experience is I did a Georgia cheerleading podcast where I would do weekly updates, like my own version of sports center. Um, and, uh, so I built all of this while I was working at the school. So when I finally got my degree from Georgia and was trying to figure out what I wanted to be when I grew up, um, I decided I wanted to do web development full time. And it was this body of work, much like your situation at Clemson. I had this body of work was my portfolio yep. that landed me my first full-time web development job. Cause I was like, Oh, I have these, you know, seven different websites that I'm managing on a server somewhere all written in, you know, various flavors of PHP. And I did all the design work, which is probably why some of it's not very good. Um, but, uh, <laughs> But yeah, so it was like this weird thing where it's like cheerleading of all things has become this weird central. Like, if I had to pick like a point, if I'm doing a weird conspiracy map, somehow cheerleading is going to be in the center, and then that leads to web development and and a bunch of other random things. Well, I can say I didn't. I did not have any idea the conversation was going to go this way today. Um, but uh, didn't have that on your bingo. Card. Yeah, yeah. So uh, so as we as we kind of come close to to wrapping things up a little bit here, what, uh, what are you looking forward to, you know, over the, over the next year, any projects uh, you've got? I mean, you've mentioned you'd already started showing one of them to your students. Are you ready to talk about that here? Uh, sure. Yeah. It's, um, it's amusing. Uh, one of the things I tell all of my students and I've been doing this now for a while, um, the programmer's biggest enemy is spelling and, and it, and it, the, and they find this out very quickly. You know, they'll be debugging something. And they'll come in and like, I've been f fighting with this for an hour. And I'll be like, you forgot a semicolon. Yep. <laughs> I'm like, damn it. Um, and, and in the true, true sense of that, I was originally writing this and I just called it like a generic bookmarks app. But I transposed the M and the K and wrote it as boom carks. And I was like, you know what? I talk about spelling being such a nemesis so much that I'm just going to leave this spelling misspelling in here. And this app is now just called Boom Cards. And it's just a collection of bookmarks um, that I have been curating. And then I'm going to be letting my students curate kind of like a Reddit style thumbs up, you know, vote up, up, vote down. Nice. Kind of things. Flag stuff. Like if I have links in there that because I've been putting this together forever, I've already found at least two links that don't exist anymore. So that stuff can get flagged and, and it'll be um, a community curated bookmark site um, in the spirit of something like delicious for those people that remember delicious oh, back yeah. in the day where you can just sort of keep track of bookmarks in places. And again, that's built on uh, and Norello is the API for that. I'm using remix on the front end, uh, hosting all that through Netlify. And for the dead and, links, um, you could redirect to archive.org if you wanted to. Yeah, I absolutely could. So it's, um, it's it's a lot of fun. I'm enjoying it. Uh, I'm I'm enjoying being at the school. I'm teaching this cohort and the next cohort, uh, and then next year we're going to be looking at the program and looking at any adjustments that may need to be made. So I'm looking forward to those discussions with uh, with uh, Alex Martin and and Leah nice. over there at the at the code school. I'm I love being a part of it. I'm also continuing to do freelance work. So I teach semi full time. Uh, primarily, I'm over there for lecture in the morning and then spend some time at the next building in the afternoon and. Um, still have a lot of uh, a few of my freelance clients norello being one of them so uh yeah looking forward to it i'm i'm loving 
to just, you know, uh, to lift your, uh, I can't think of the right word, to big you up. I'm going to steal a British phrase. To big you up, uh, I love the fact that after the conference, I feel much more plugged in to the local developer community, which Good. is really, really nice. As a person that moved here, I we don't have any family. We didn't have any connections up here. We just wanted to live here. And but working for a company like iHeartMedia, that's, you know, they're based in Nashville and, and New York. And so a thing that I was kind of always missing was that direct connection. And it's like now, okay, working at the code school, that's one of it. That's one of the things. So I now feel like I've got some roots here, but also being able to take part in the conference, meet so many other folks, get a chance to speak, make introductions. Um, it, it, I've said multiple times to my wife that in the last three months, uh, or however, however many months has been since the since the conference, I feel like I'm finally plugged into the community here. And so, it's been about three thank weeks you for that and for the opportunity. Has it only been about three August weeks? August nineteenth, less than a month. Oh Jesus, I have lost all track of yep. time. Oh, I, I understand. I'm I'm right there with you, but I'm I'm very very <laughs> happy to hear that we've got a we we really do have a wonderful um, tech community here in general, and virtually everything just stopped in 2020. But at the same time, yeah. a bunch of people started moving here uh, in, in 2020 as all, as all of the remote work picked up. And we've had so many more people move to the area ever since COVID. But then the various facilities and activities and meetups and everything weren't here to, to, to pull them in. And so I'm, I'm really glad to, to hear that it, it worked for you because that that's definitely one of the biggest aspects of, of getting it together. I'm hoping that a lot more of the meetups get some more exposure and get going again. Um, I know the big hat Greenville nights thing that I think is coming up on October 14th or 12th, October 12th. Yeah. Oh, okay. But yeah. uh, I, have to, I don't have my calendar in front of me. Yeah. Though. I mean, that, that should be a really good time. And, uh, and then hopefully the rest of the meetups will, will keep going too, but, uh, but yeah, come join hat Greenville if you can't. And, uh, as always with every podcast, I got to say thank you to herd media for, uh, for helping me put this thing together. Cause I have no clue whatsoever what I'm doing with podcast and they're, uh, helping me figure this stuff out, helping me like learn the tools that I have that I need to learn in the editing process. I'm not, I'm not a big enough fish for them to actually do the work, uh, do the work and editing for me, but uh, they did help. They did all the editing for the, for the Joel podcast, but uh, I'm, I'm going to be fully responsible for that on all the rest of them. And I'm, I'm learning my way through it. And I really appreciate all of their help. So thank you. Nice, that's awesome. Right here in Greenville. There you go. Yeah. And it's daunting. I don't, I having edited podcasts, it's uh, the whole thing is, it's I, it's really nice that you have people that can help you do that now because it uh, it takes a lot of the heavy lifting off. They've they've shown me a lot of the of the tools that are out there to help with with stuff like getting the transcripts together and all that. And Substack, where we run the conference website, actually does a really good job. I mean, you can paste the audio up and it'll generate the transcript for you right there. Uh, and oh, and it's awesome. Circulation's pretty straightforward. The biggest thing is just getting the the audio and the and the video itself for YouTube uh, up and running properly. But uh, if any of your, uh, if any of our listeners are interested, you can, and you didn't already see it, you can see Sean's talk on the Carolina code conference, YouTube channel. It's right there. It's called, uh, Oh, Oh, gosh, uh, what did I call it? design systems. How, uh, yes. hold on. I've got it in my, in my, it's, it's, it's how designed design systems can help you maintain product sanity. Kinda. Yep. Exactly. And that is, so that, that is another example of me getting used to this whole podcast thing. I should have definitely had that ready to go. <laughs> I didn't even have it ready to go. So you're fine. There you go. All right. I, I could remember my own talk. I could remember Jamie Lee Curtis earlier. So it's, it's totally. And fine. we should all be able to remember Jamie Lee Curtis. So. Absolutely. Yep. All right. Thanks a lot, Sean. I appreciate your time. This has been the Carolina Codecast. Yeah.